Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. So it was quite a few years ago that I was first introduced to Joko, not personally, but um, to her uh, books, specifically Every Day Zen, I think was the one I started with. And, uh, and then I saw a film uh, about her as well. And I have to say that um, my reaction to her was um, not so favorable. You know, she's very direct. And um, at that time, I, find it, I found it kind of off-putting. It was just seemed so strong, I don't know. And um, so I put her aside, you know, as far as, I mean, I did the readings and so forth. And, um, but I, I figure, well, she's not exactly my teacher. It's in the lineage, but, <clears throat> um, you know, she wasn't the, the, the teacher that I really wanted to look towards. And so it's been really a pleasure that, um, that this new book has come out. And I've realized now how much I appreciate her. So something's changed. And I don't think Joko's voice has changed at all. And it must be something to do with me. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciate it. Um, Appreciate uh, getting this opportunity to, to spend some time with her has been has been really a pleasure, and I uh, um, picked up a, a few things um, from reading her again. <clears throat> you know, she's got this way. You know, she's when she's uh, teaching, she she has that Manjushri sword. You know, <laughs> um, it's very clear. And uh, that's a good thing, actually, because it is for me now. So I've, I've changed my attitude. And in short, her teachings are, are pretty simple. Um, she says, sit down, pay attention, have some awareness. Notice what your thoughts are. Notice if there's any body sensation that goes along with it and experience those things, actually experience them. You can say, yeah, I know that I'm feeling angry or I'm feeling upset or whatever, but to actually experience it, sit with it and ex experience it through your body is something altogether different. And it's, it's pretty potent actually. And so, uh, she says, and it's true, that over time your practice, doing this kind of practice, um, you'll become more compassionate, open, and peaceful. Easy peasy, right? Not. <laughs> it's not easy at all. This kind of practice takes a tremendous amount of courage and a lot of persistence and patience of being with, constantly being with. Uh, I'm going to quote her uh, the way she says it. 
when we let, let go of the thought-based personal desire for things to work out a particular way, the pain we feel can begin to open up. There's the good news there. When it opens, the feeling becomes clear and quiet. There's only silence, then there's only silence and wonder. Then there's only wonder. A well of silence, which is real wisdom. Now we're getting somewhere, getting into the wisdom aspect. So this is, this is the basic teaching. But I'd like to look at, to start with, uh, about her underlying observations about uh, human behavior and how that fits into practice. She says, we're constantly waging an internal war between who we think we should be and who we really are. So have you ever noticed <clears throat> um, you say you get into some, you may get angry about something or with somebody and afterward you say, ah, I wish I were, Todd was talking about this a minute ago, I wish I had been more patient. I wish I'd been more compassionate. I wish I'd been kinder. So there are all those shoulds. <clears throat> I wish I wasn't so judgmental. So we, we hold these attributes, these characteristics up to ourselves, and it's basically a way of criticizing ourselves, no? We're saying, oh, we should be this. We're not measuring up. We're just not measuring up. Measuring up to, <laughs> to this idea in our head of what we should be, right? We, um, the worst case scenario is, is we don't have any of these qualities. We're not kind at all. We're not compassionate at all. And then we just have to, we feel terribly guilty and we just have to go into hiding. And then if you go into hiding, you're not really interacting with your world. So there's another war going on. The war is, maybe it's the same war, I suppose. It's wanting pleasure and then being with the truth that life doesn't care about our pleasure, our wants for pleasure. Life is what it is. So in this case, it's more about what we're doing, not what we're, um, not what we should be. It's more about what we're doing. So we may think um, intellectually, we may believe this and say, yeah, life is, is as, life is as it is, life is as it is. And I should accept this. Well, let me go back into the shoulds. I should accept this. I should do what I should be a good person. But Joko says we should, that we should, being just the way we are, being just the way we are, enable us to transform 
if we can see it, if we can experience it. So there are the key, key things. And so that's what the practice is about, seeing and experiencing what we're actually doing, what we're actually thinking, what we're actually feeling in our bodies. So whenever we get upset or moody or <clears throat> angry or irritated, the question comes up is, how is it supposed to be and how is it really? It's the same question. We ask ourselves that. <clears throat> and how it is supposed to be is, is actually based on our beliefs, a set of core beliefs. So we have these ideas about um, who we are. We are a certain way. We're, we're not kind enough. Or we're not lovable enough. Or these kinds of things. Then we have ideas about what we believe the world is and what it's like. <clears throat> and we put those two things together. We think we're this. And we, or we believe they're a certain way, and we believe the world is a certain way. Therefore, we are compelled to act in a certain way. And that's where all the trouble starts. Um, because we're not living who we really are. <clears throat> we're being run, letting those core beliefs run us, let them run our life. And then despite the fact that it causes us lots of trouble, we cling to these beliefs. <clears throat> Even though uh, we cling to them and we're in fact terrified to let go of them. And I would suggest that maybe we're terrified to let go of them is because if we let go, who are we now? We've, a lot of these core beliefs get started up early on, right? So we kind of live believing them. And if they go away, oh my gosh, we just lost all of our scaffolding. At the same time, there is something inside of us that says, is telling us we don't want to live this way. <clears throat> So this is what she says is the first side of practice. The second side is just being the witness. So this is leading into the scene, where we're seeing every thought and seeing it without judgment, without analysis, without criticism, and without doing anything. just seeing and that's the first step and that's a big step actually really you know say if we're sitting to really see what our thoughts are and eventually we'll get to see our sensations but just being with that most people can stay with it for only a few seconds at a time and over time certainly we increase that but at the beginning, it's a very slow process. And as we go along, 
And we start feeling our sensations and experiencing those, not just noticing them, but actually experiencing them. We get to know our body and we get to know our thoughts pretty well. And we also get to know what our emotions are and how they run through us all day long. So this practice, she says, takes a lot of diligence. Indeed, a lot of careful looking. And it takes, as I said before, years of practicing and patience, being aware and labeling thoughts day after day, noticing what's happening in the body. And um, so we're not going to have an immediate satisfaction. This is an ongoing process. But eventually you get to what she calls the true self, which to me is kind of can be a misleading term, a Buddha nature, a real self. If you stick with the practice. But this this practice of looking and being with can be painful sometimes. We come up against fear sometimes, and we don't want to look at that. But that's the practice. And we can do it. It's, it's a muscle that we build. So there isn't much effort really that's required. Um, it's just paying attention, being aware. And sometimes we do have a truce in the war between what we should be, what we think we should be, and what we are. And sometimes the two sides come together and then um, we may go back into the battle. But then the periods get longer of peace. And even though we may dread our practice, we do value the life that comes out of it and the life of greater seeing. And I think um, Stephanie was pointing to this earlier. So part of it is, is uh, developing harmony within the mess of our lives, whatever that may be, if we're going through a divorce or we're going through illness or issues with aging, whatever the case may be. Developing the harmony is what's required is an awareness of the whole context of your life at that second, which includes the bodily sensations. And unfortunately, uh, we don't always do that. We, we don't just fixate on one thing and do one thing. We tend to start to do something and then we kind of wear off. <laughs> um, we veer off into the mental world where our core beliefs belong. And if we do that, we'll never have harmony, right? But in this realm, what she calls the realm of no liking or disliking, the world is absolutely perfect. And we do each thing with discrimination. With no discrimination at all. So despite the distraction that we might have at this moment, there's a, uh, 
a blower outside, which can be very irritating. We just hear it. We don't have to be mad at it <laughs> for doing what it does. Just be with it as part of everything that's going on right now. And when we're able to notice and, that, and experience this blower going off outside, life becomes a little less rigid because life is always changing. And we have to live with it as opposed to being stuck. Get stuck. stuck in it. So being in harmony with things, you're experiencing yourself as an integral part of life instead of as someone who is opposing a piece of life. I think that's so interesting the way she says that. Um, and we, we tend to get so focused on what we are doing, right? We're trying to work, we're trying to do something and something out there is bothering us. And yet, we are part of this everything else that's out there. And to be able to accept its existence at the same time is important. The harmony can exist in the middle of a messy situation. It's when we experience the mess, but we aren't the mess, right? It's when we experience that mess without being ensnared in it. So one way to, to do that, to notice that we're starting to get caught up in something, we can say, oh, I'm having a little judgment here, or a little annoyance. And we say, okay, what's going on? And you take a deeper look. And as we start doing this, as we start taking these deeper look into things, it's like a muscle continues to grow. And as you practice with that, and your looking gets stronger, your seeing gets stronger, the realm of no liking or disliking is, begins to grow, as I said, and it becomes the true realm of harmony. We start out believing our judgments instead of seeing, noticing, and labeling our judgment and seeing what else is going on. And then we shift into seeing and experiencing. And that's the turning point. And this is a comment that is very interesting. It's Jekyllbeck-ish. Um, so what you have to see at that point is that you don't like yourself. <laughs> and it's not, not your true self. It's the self that's, it's the small-minded self. It's the self that's pretty self-absorbed, actually. And I think that's an important part of practice when you do kind of wake up to, to seeing what you're actually doing and then you go, oh my gosh, you start to cringe. <laughs> wow, what am I doing here? 
But that self is the one that consists of your core belief and all its accompanying thoughts and all its sensations. But as you go through practice, you move from experiencing and you come out into harmony. You're okay with yourself, which makes it much easier to work with whatever is going on instead of fighting with yourself. about who you should be and who you are. So the courage to practice, it requires a lot of courage to move off our usual position and take up a new way of doing things different from what you've always done and start to make choices to do something different. What helps is um, when we're honest with who we are. We're honest with about who we are when we're experiencing something, when, when we, especially when it's fear, when we're experiencing fear. And if you stay with that and experience it, it seems to get a little bit more possible to do the work or do what needs to be done. So you make a little progress. And as you make the progress, you gain a greater understanding, not just of yourself, but of what Joko says is how life works, how things go, more or less. And once we have that, life can be more satisfactory. <clears throat> now there's a certain part of all this I think is important to talk about, and that is um, sitting. Sitting being sitting is an ordinary practice, and sitting is a sacred practice. It's both, has both qualities. The, the, Ordinary is a manifestation of the sacred. They're not different. So whether you're cleaning the house or walking with a friend in the woods or uh, going, to, uh, going to the theater, doesn't matter as long as we're doing these things with awareness, just like we're aware when we're sitting. We are doing activities that are both ordinary and sacred. And if you've um, been on Zen retreats, particularly longer ones, I think most people have experienced this. You, you start to see your work practice is very much as sacred as sitting in zazen and doing vows and so forth. And when you can feel this duality of the everyday and the sacred without 
getting all messed up in the mind about it, you can feel a joy that embraces both happiness and unhappiness. So there's that joy again. So it makes me think of, of two separate uh, incidences in my life, in particular, in a lot of them actually. I see joy a lot of times, despite all the sad things that are going on in the world. And one of the classic ones for me was um, when I was grieving for my dad. He uh, had died and was attached to him. And I thought I would ever stop crying. Um, and at some point, I came to realize through, through practice that yes, I was grieving. I was really, I was still grieving. But at the same time, I was okay. You know, I was okay. I mean, I was sad, there's no doubt about it, but uh, I mean, I was healthy. I was moving about in my world. I was, you know, um, having my life. And it was okay, but I was grieving. I think that's really where you come to in practice, is you can hold both at the same time. Another one, uh, Ellen will be, let me see Ellen on the screen, but anyway, she'll appreciate this one, is when we went down to the border um, with Mexico to witness what was happening a couple of years ago when we separated children from families and um, there was massive uh, you know, people coming into the country and the restrictions were really strong on these people and it was a mess. So we went down to witness that and um, most of the time, you know, we went to the courts and it, it, it was some really um, awful things that we were seeing and it was a, a bit depressing, in fact. But at the same time, we were um, meeting a lot of people there that were, um, that lived actually on the border on this side of the border, and they were part of the community there, and they said, well, this may, this may be, hap this is happening in our town, so we feel important that we treat these people, people coming in, as human beings, and they were the ones that were offering food and clothing and places to stay. So, so there was this, you know, um, really sad situation, but also there was this other, other side to it, which had a joyful side. See people coming forward and happening in the home. So, um, so I'm going to stop there so we can do a little exercise. And what I'd like to do is, um, it may, may be good, if you guys can get some paper and a pen, and, and we'll um, I'll give you the instructions first. Uh, I would like for you all to think of a situation, not something overly dramatic, but something in which you had some sort of reaction, um, you know, anger, impatience, or whatever. And, and you had that, and then you also 
had the other the other side of that saying, oh, I shouldn't have been so, it comes up so easily. <laughs> anyway, so if you could think of some time when you did that, and if you didn't, wonderful. But if you did, think of that situation and, and just take a few minutes and write about it with the, the, um, the idea of thinking about the experience and then now thinking about it in terms of what were the thoughts that you had at the moment, if you can recall them, and what were the, what were the sensations in your body, if you can get in touch with how you were feeling at that time as well. And just write about those things. See if you can experience your thoughts and your feelings about something. And if it's something more recent, the better. You'll probably have a better sense about it. But whatever you can come up with. And let's see, we have we have till let's see. Let's come back at ten till. So we have twenty minutes. So maybe um, uh, right for ten, and then you can talk. Each take five minutes to talk about that. Well, so then. Um, We'll break for lunch now, and we'll be coming back at one thirty.